Hi guys, thanks for sticking around. This is the final segment of our 12 hour stream day with Novi Studios. This is a segment we like to call Lex Talk About It because I'm Lex and I like to talk about things. Uh, today, I'm gonna be talking about uh, representation versus tokenization and exploitation in media with two of my really good friends who are both involved in various forms of media. friend Maya here, who I met through work and who I absolutely fell in love with. Maya, tell the people about yourself. Hi, um, so my name is Maya. I go more often by my nickname Adele um, now, so if anybody wants to go through, either way is fine. But um, yeah, so basically um, we met through work, so I am a professional princess. Um, for now, I'm bi-coastal, so I live in Florida during the school year, and then I go back um, over to Atlanta. Um, on off season and yeah, I'm, um, my major is psychology, so I'm a psychology major, um, which helps a lot with things like this. I just think a little bit differently um, than most people sometimes and have us just about it. I'm going into social media influencing, so I'll make sure to plug my social medias and all that stuff after we're done here. Um, yep. But anybody wants to keep track of that too, but yeah, <laughs> happy to be here. Yes, happy to have you. My other guest today is Ian Gibson, a dear friend for many years, a playwright, an actor, just a great person. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Ian? Well, Lex, thank you so much for having me on. I, I love you dearly. Um, and yeah, I'm playwright, I'm actor. I'm also a, my a, a professional uh, job is I, I design um, naval components for submarines for the military. But that's not as fun as as, uh, as some of the arts can be. Um, I'm very thankful to be here, and, and and I think this is an important conversation. I'm looking forward to having it. So thank you for having me on today. Yes, thank you guys for joining me. Um, so jumping right in, let's talk about what we mean when we say tokenization. Um, tokenization is what happens when you have a character, most typically one character, that falls into some sort of minority group, if not multiple, because intersectionality is a thing. But basically tokenization is, oh, we have this person, so we can't be racist, homophobic, transphobic, insert whatever, we can't be here. Um, but oftentimes with tokenization, the character is not written by a person who belongs to that group and is oftentimes ascribed a lot of stereotypical things. Like you have the sassy gay best friend or the black girlfriend of the white girl who's here like, girl, you need to get your this, that. And like, she has like, oftentimes these characters get no character development. Um, and we really don't know anything about them. They're just there to meet a diversity quota and to kind of like serve the other character. It's it's the manic pixie dream girl of being a minority. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely agree. Um, like you were saying, yeah, it's normally very stereotypical, especially with like the black best friend is normally what we've seen um, since representation in media became a thing. Um, even since like old, old movies like um, in Clueless, like Shear's best friend with braids and you know, normally if they have a boyfriend, he's normally also black and she's normally a little bit ghetto and, you know, she's just kind of there to, to root on the main character, um, which you see a lot. And um, 
people like to use that as an excuse and kind of say that Black women shouldn't be upset because it's representation, which is true. It is representation. But it's been long enough to where I feel like we might be able to do a little bit better than that nowadays. And it's definitely not an excuse. Um, Just because it's gotten better doesn't mean that we should stop here. Just because we're on TV doesn't mean that that should be the only thing that we're seeing. Um, Because obviously not all Black women are like that. Um, And that's no shade to Black women who are like that or did grow up that way or, you know, whatever. But I just think we need to see more diversity in the diversity. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. I would I would 100% agree. Um, and interesting, that brings up an interesting point because uh, you were bringing up old movies. Even So you can even point to something like Good Times. So if you look at uh, Good Times, the reason Co- this Cosby show exists is because of Good Times. The Black community was not happy with the way that the black community was being represented in good times. And they were like, this is, this is not everyone's experience. This is not what it looks like for all of us. And that, that was, so the Cosby show was the direct answer to that. So you took, you know, a show that had this family that was severely impoverished, constantly struggling, always like there's one episode where they talk where they have a neighbor who sometimes eats cat food because she could not afford like regular food. And it's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, we don't love that. We don't love that one. (laughs) And so that's why the Cosby show was created. It was kind of this direct answer to good times where instead of having these impoverished families where everything is a struggle, you see a successful, highly educated black family that still has a variety of experience within the kids. Like you, you have um, Lisa Bonet's character, whose name I cannot remember right now. Is she, she's not Denise. Denise is the oldest one. I yeah, Yes. Yes. I believe Denise is the oldest one. Ian, do you remember what Lisa Bonet's character's name is? I don't. I've seen Cosby show a few times, but I, I don't. And I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we Lisa Bonet. We all know who Lisa Bonet's character. Well, she was kind of the more spiritual of them. She was... It's really interesting because... Lisa Bonet, you see Lisa Bonet's character explore blackness a little bit more than you see, you know, her sister Denise. And Denise is very much just, we we gotta be straight laced, we gotta do, which is fine. Like that's just her personality. But you're seeing a, a bigger variety of personality within that. And that is kind of where we start to move towards representation because it's not that we're saying you can never have a black family impoverished you can never have a gay person pining after their straight best friend or blah 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 that should not be their entire character that should not be their entire arc it's just like it's just like when people used to queer code villains it's not that we have a problem with gay people playing villains but oftentimes their their queerness informed their villainy and that's not how it should be and Ian knows a little bit some a little bit about like writing some representative roles because Ian actually wrote a play called Travail, which has uh, a lot of queerness all up in it. Um, and I, talk to me a little bit about that process for you as a straight white man writing this trans role, um, these queer roles. Like, how what was that process like, and how did you come to it? Because having read it, like it is, it is, it, it's good. Like it's it does it doesn't feel tokenizing or othering. Like it, it's good. I appreciate you saying that. Um, when I had the idea for the story, it was when there was the pregnant man story that came out. I think CNN wrote an article back around 2009 
Everybody did. That that man was on the cover of People. I remember this. I remember this. Yeah, I read a whole bunch of articles about about him and um I got really interested in what what that process was like. And I thought someone needs to tell this story. Someone needs to normalize this. And no one else in the theater community that I could find was doing it. So I said, shit, I'll do it. Why not? Not knowing anything about that um, process, not knowing, not being well-versed in the community. Um, I reached out to an organization. I was in college when I wrote it. So there's a student organization at my college, LGBTQ um, plus community. Um, I reached out and I found a lot of representation within that community that helped me write the play. Here's um, characters, here's um, the process, and got a lot of great feedback, and it really helped me develop that uh, that play. Yeah, and in that process, like it's 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 very interesting to me. You know, just, just I can only speak from you know a queer perspective a, and a you know mentally ill and and chronically ill perspective. Uh, like those are the communities that I represent. But for me, oftentimes what happens when people don't do their research, which I'm not saying you don't, but like the, the, cause that's the thing, right? When we talk about representation, we're not just talking about on screen. We're talking about, we want to see representation in the crew. We want to see representation in the writer's room. We want to see representation in the producer's like chair. Like we want representation from the floor up because what you're creating and the community that creates it should reflect the world around you. And it, especially when you're somebody who doesn't come from that perspective, it is only going to help you to have those people all around you. And I think for me and, and Maya, tell me if you've had a similar experience, a lot of the time when I try to, you know, say something to someone of a cis experience or someone of a straight experience who's, who's either playing or writing a queer character, a lot of the time they just like get this guard up. Like they think that I'm attacking them or, yeah. or and it's, it's ridiculous. It's like, honey, no, like I just live this and I'm trying to tell you how it is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, people do like to get defensive. They like to, like you said, of course, I can only speak from the experience of, you know, by minority. But um, yeah, definitely whenever you say something about to people about something they said or a way they were acting that wasn't racially equal, they like to get defensive. They automatically assume you're calling them racist. And then they're like, I'm not racist. And then they start listing off reasons why they're not racist when it's like, they really say you were racist. I didn't ask you to list reasons of why you're not racist. I don't think that you're racist. Like we wouldn't be friends if you were racist. I'm just just trying to educate, just trying to let you know. Um, and that can definitely be frustrating. Yeah, so I definitely agree. I also agree with what you were saying about um, representation in like cast and media and stuff like that. Um, Cause I think that's really important. A lot of times people don't realize, especially with um, like animated, like TV shows and stuff like that. A lot of times even the black characters in those aren't even voiced by black women or black men. Um, um, or, you know, anything in between. They're not voiced by Black people. And so yeah. that's a little bit disheartening because um, it's like, yeah, okay, we're kind of getting representation, but not really, which I didn't even realize until, um, oh, what was that cartoon? Um, oh, the that Big show Mouth. on Netflix, Big Mouth. Yes, yes, yeah. yep. 
Um, and when that episode came out, when they were talking about, um, they talked about a lot of like racial um, things this upcoming this past season. I think it was season three, and they revealed that the yes, they revealed that the the voice of Missy actually wasn't a black woman. And I was like, what is happening? Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't angry or anything. Like it was fine. I, I was glad they said something, but it was just shocking because I had never even thought to look behind that to see if the actresses were women of color. Like I just kind of assumed they would. So it kind of sucks that they're not. Oh, you're breaking up a little bit, babe. Oh, my God. Oh, there you are. There you are. You're back. The last thing I heard was it kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that was all. I think I was done. <laughs> yeah, it, it it genuinely does. And it's and it and it's animation is where it's hard, right? Because like with animation, would it absolutely kill and be so awesome if everybody was being voiced by somebody that represented that cartoon character? Absolutely. The the issue that comes around with like cartoons and video games and things like that is number one. Voice actors are paid pennies. Um, number two, oftentimes they cast people specifically because that person can do multiple voices. Taking it back to Big Mouth, Nick Kroll, who's one of the like creators of Big Mouth, voices at minimum, I think, four characters on that show. He voices the horny... Uh, no, he doesn't voice the horny teenager. He voices the coach. He voices one of the hormone monsters. He voices uh, the, the, the girl talks like this. I don't know her name, but, um, so like voice acting is one of those careers that's geared towards, you need to make yourself as marketable and as jack of all trades as you can. Cause Tara, Tara Strong, even who is one of the most prolific female voice actors of our, well, she's not in our generation, but she voiced all the things in like, she voiced Timmy and Boo and several other throwaway characters on Fairly Odd Parents. She voiced Bubbles and several other, like, so the whole point of voice acting is like, do as many voices as you can. And so while I wish that we were gonna get more representation and soon in voice acting, I think that is one of those professions that, girl, she needs a whole lot of work top down. <laughs> we need to be getting these people paid and then be getting them hired. Uh, uh oh, we lost her. She'll probably she'll she probably lost service. Um, hopefully she'll be back. Um, but yeah, and like that's it's hard, and that's that's why it's important that if you're not going, it, it's important that if you're having a voice actor play someone of color, any color, like any BIPOC individual, they're not, and even especially, yeah, like any BIPOC individual and queer people, you're not putting on an Scent. Like you're not putting on a black scent because this is how black people talk. You're not putting on a fag scent because every gay person has sibilant S's and mm -hmm. talks like this really high in air. Like, no, mm -hmm. like, no, that is not how you do that. And that's one of my big gripes about um, that prom night musical that they did on Netflix is not only did they cast James Corbin, who is a straight man, to play the gay character, he put on a fag scent for it. it. And if you were to take a queer, a person of queer experience and put them in that role and they were to do that, it would be, it wouldn't be great. 
but it would it wouldn't be as hard and it wouldn't be a slap in the face because when somebody from our community is doing it it's more of us poking fun at ourselves it's more of us being like everybody knows this girl but when somebody from outside of the community does it it feels like poking fun at us it feels like a joke at our expense instead of us being in on the joke if only there were were queer representation in the theater and movie communities if only if only queer people cared about the arts oh god and that's that's the other myth that I super fucking hate, um, right? Because when you get into playwriting, acting, writing, directing, all of these things are extremely hard to break into if you're not privileged. It's extremely hard to come from a place of privilege when you have these marginalized identities. And even if you have this Black actor, this Black writer who is fucking brilliant, if they come from a community that's below the poverty line, even if they themselves are okay, like their family is good, they haven't had a struggle. If they come from below the poverty line, it is really hard for them to get into the schools and to make the connections that people care about because all they're gonna hear is, oh, they're from there. There's Mm -hmm. no culture there. There's no education there. And so they've already made this decision about us and about them before they've ever even like entered the room and held a conversation before they've ever read a page of what that person has written. Um, And it's incredibly myopic. And and it's, it's shitty because some of the best stories, the stories that need to be told are from people from there yeah there Mm -hmm. are people from those experiences right and it's Mm -hmm. there's a there's a quote and i cannot remember who said it but there is a quote that uh says something along the lines of i'm less concerned with uh how intelligent albert einstein was and more concerned with the fact that i know there are people who were there are people who are just as as intelligent as him that never got the opportunity to do anything because they didn't have the privilege to do so Uh it's so interesting especially when you when you're looking at like acting like screen acting and 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 stage acting people talk about how you'll never make any money blah, blah 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 and that's why a lot of the actors that we know and that we see most of come from affluent backgrounds, not necessarily because those parents, welcome back. It's connecting. I'm back. I was just talking about how, like, I was talking about the privilege aspect of it and how, you know, with film and stage and all of those things, a lot of the times when you look at those actors and you look up their background, they're fucking rich and always have been. And it's not necessarily that their parents bought those roles or whatever, whatever, especially if their parents aren't connected to that industry, if their parents are just wealthy. But it's more the case of they have that safety net. They're allowed to fail at these creative endeavors. Right. have that money to fall back on whereas marginalized people a lot of the time don't have access to that like with queer people it's a little bit different but uh like me specifically like girl no like i don't i don't have money like i I, the only reason i was able to go to the school that i went to is because i had the grades and i had the scholarship 
I have the pre-college credit because I took AP courses in high school. So I was able to go into school having already taken college courses, having already achieved college credit. And so like even that in and of itself puts me in a privileged position because my school had those had those programs. But the honest fact of the matter is like from the top down, it is really fucking hard, especially if you are BIPOC. And especially if you are under the poverty line, because spoiler alert, the school system is racist because school districts are made up based on uh, property taxes. Mm -hmm. Those prop it's, it's legitimately harder for black and brown people to accumulate generational wealth the way that it is white people. And without that generational wealth, it is harder to buy and own property. So like starting at a deficit, like it's like we, it's, it's like those, you know, privileged people are at the start line and everybody else is in the bathroom or in the locker room still lacing up their shoes. Get ready. What what do you mean? the, The start gun has already been shot off. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. It's where we already started a disadvantage. Yeah. And I just, I don't, nothing gets me hotter. Nothing gets me more angry than somebody asking why I care about it. Like Will and Grace is a show. Like, why do you care? Faking it was a show. Why do you care? Like blah, blah, blah. And also when they ask me why I care about other minority representation, like, oh, well, why do you care about black people? Or why do you care about indigenous people? First of all, I am indigenous. So jot that down. Indigenous people come in all kinds of shades because we were colonized. <laughs> Colonization. <laughs> like, but second of all, I live in the world. I have relationships with these people. I I have lived around and and about these communities my whole life. Like I didn't I didn't go to like hoity toity like christian private academies i didn't go to charter or magnet schools like i went to public school and for the majority of my school career i was in low-income schooling it wasn't until i was in high school that i had like access to like pretty good stuff and the only access to the stuff that I had was because our the school that I went to in high school was new like it was newly built and so a a lot of stuff got donated because that's a tax write-off for the companies that are donating yeah and it's just I don't understand people who just fundamentally lack awareness because like not all of these people saying these things are racist right like we're not saying all these people are racist we're not saying all of these people are homophobic but you can say and do homophobic and racist things without having yeah. that be your whole personality. Yeah, for sure. Because we all, ha- like, we all have yeah, it. Yeah, like- I definitely agree. And um, I get the same thing with people asking, like, why do you care? And I just, like, I I don't even understand that question. I guess some people just don't, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's an easy, I just care about other people, like, why do you not care? I just, I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, as I'm also, as a Christian black woman, it's also different. Like I was just raised to care about people. Like I just have such a love for people that I just like, I have to care. Like I obviously, I want the best for everybody. Like genuinely, I want the best for everyone. So I don't understand why people are like, why don't you care? Like seeing stuff like this breaks my heart. Like, what do you mean? I don't, 
it doesn't register, but I, I think, like you said, I think it's good that people are starting to do things like what's happening right now, like talking about it, putting it on a platform where people can hear about it and become educated about things that they don't necessarily understand because they didn't grow up around it. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with the, with the confusing, why do you care question? It's never sat right with me. <laughs> Like Ian, why do you care? Why do you care about marginalized people? Because they're people. Because we're all people. We all have lives. We all matter. Great answer. I agree. I agree, and I agree. One hundred percent. Like that's and and even beyond that. Okay, so even beyond that, let's let so let's say, you know, this person's like, no, like I care about people in my real life, but why should we care about what's on our TV screen or what's in our book or what's on our movies or what's on stage? And it's about representation. It it is. It's 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 about representation, and it's about the fact that media has more of an effect on societal conscience than anybody is willing to. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. Everything is determined by media. The way girls look at, the way anybody looks at their body image is affected by media. The way anybody looks at themselves is affected by media. Like before there was a like black Disney princess, um, the amount of brown girls that like didn't think they could be princesses. I remember telling my mom when I was five, when I went to Disney World for the first time, that I wanted to be pink because I wanted to work as a Disney princess. And like brown girls couldn't be Disney princesses because I didn't see, there was none there. Like I went and there was none there. And I was like, well, gotta be pink. Like representation matters so much more than people think that it does. It's just like, if you don't realize representation matters, it's because you've always been represented. That's why, that's why. That's just why. Like, and that's okay. That's fine. But like, why would you not listen to somebody who's not been represented and ask them why it matters so much so you can understand that? Yeah. And I think as much as as much as media is kind of a time capsule of the views of society at that time, it also has big power to affect change. Um, especially when things are presented in a realistic way. Um, like I'm not talking about fantasy media and things like that, but like with, with, with things like law and order, let's take law and order. For example, law and order SVU specifically, cause it's the only one that matters. Um, but law and order SVU did a whole episode on untested rape kits, which was it, it was and is actually a huge fucking problem in the American justice system. These these rape kits sit on a shelf for weeks, months, years, and don't get tested. And there was the, uh, and SVU did a whole episode on it and brought that to the forefront of the American conscience, or at least those people that watched SVU. They were now aware that this is an actual real thing. And Mariska Hargitay, the actress who plays Olivia Benson on SVU, Actually, either she founded the organization or she is a huge supporter of and like ambassador for this organization whose name I had somewhere. (laughs) Um, It's an organization that helps to get those rape kits tested, but nobody cared about that who wasn't a survivor, like nobody who wasn't a survivor of a sexual assault cared about the fact that these rape kits weren't getting tested unless they were in law enforcement. Then it wasn't always. Um, And so that's the thing is like, these things can 
can make people aware of things, especially when they know that they're based on real life experience. Like when you take uh, Dear White People, if you look at Dear White People, chapter two, which follows Lionel, who is who is their token gay, except he's not tokenized, but he is one of the few queer characters on that show. There is a lot of homophobic rhetoric that surrounds him which made me super uncomfortable because they throw around the F slur a lot, um, which hurts, but I give it a pass because number one, the man who wrote it was writing about his lived experience. And number two, having grown up around and adjacent to blackness, I am hyper aware of the way black men talk about gay men. And maybe throwing that around. Yeah, yeah, they do. (laughs) <laughs> and and so like it's it's just as much important for media to be escapism like i think i think racism has no place in fantasy like if you are if you are doing a high fantasy play tv show movie and you have white and black people the black people should not have to experience racism like <laughs> this is a fantasy world relegated to what happened in America and like we're not relegated to that this is a fantasy fucking world exactly yeah we've had enough of that thank you thank you we've had our full a strong you know what I'm so full I had a lot of racism for you know all of my life I don't need thank you so much for offering but I'm gonna pass on this one yeah thank you so much though (laughs) and yeah it's just like i'm really curious ian what is the first character that you saw and you said oh my god like that's me like i i you know i identify with this person a lot like what was the what was the first character that you saw like that what was how old were you like what was that like for you it was it was so early for me. Honestly, I don't remember. It might have been Batman. Might have been the Power Ranger. Might have been Robin Hood. Um, uh, too young. It's too early for me to remember. That's crazy. What about you? Um, my first one, oh, I can't remember, but it's definitely between two. I mean, I remember the first two for sure. Um, but it, I couldn't remember which one came first. It was either Aridessa from the Pixie Hollow series because she was the only black Disney character. I was a big Disney girl, still am, obviously. But um, yeah, it was either her or um, Pocahontas, because she was the only other brown Disney character. And then in real media, probably somebody on the Cosby show, like the littlest one on the Cosby show. I don't remember what her name was. I feel like it started with an R. Rudy. Yes, yes, Rudy, yep. Probably, probably her. I can't really remember. There really wasn't much brown representation like real talk i saw a lot more in cartoons katara off of avatar she was definitely one of the first um because she was again one of the only brown ones that was around but real media it was probably the cosby show other than that i really don't remember seeing any that i felt like i identified with in like actual media what about you so for so for me i um it was a long time like growing up especially like growing up being raised and socialized as a man although I identify as non-binary and use they've been pronounced now 
I, uh, you know, then all I knew was I'm a boy because that's what I was told. Um, I honestly can't point to a boy from my early childhood, either in cartoons or live action media that really represented me. It, it wasn't even until, like I had seen Will and Grace growing up a little bit and obviously I didn't feel represented there. Um, and it wasn't until I was in fucking high school that, you know, Kurt Hummel existed on Glee and I didn't see myself in him either. Like Ryan Murphy is somehow both a gay man and homophobic. But that's the thing is like, when you have that kind of intersectional identity, it's, it's wild. Um, we actually have a viewer uh, response, Levon, uh, who is a, a man of black experience. Um, and he, he's responding to what we were saying about fantasy. And I'm, I'm speaking specifically about fantasy when I say that. I, I do think that, especially if we're uh, basing things in the real world, you can do that as long as you are condemning it in world. Like as long as the, uh, but he said that he disagrees because for the black viewer slash exposure, exposure, there is a certain type of pride that comes with preserving past racism. I personally can't separate my black experience with any type of storyline besides narratives set in the future. Because again, it's uh, so indelible to our identity. The fact that we have these panels, discussions, this is us. We need narratives past our trauma, definitely. But our trauma is, um, as unfortunate as it may be, persevering. And that's, that's definitely a very interesting point. And yeah, like I can, I can 100% see that. Like I, w- I wouldn't want... I wouldn't necessarily believe a narrative about, you know, a, a narrative centered around a queer person, especially if it is centered around their queerness, that there's no homophobic thing that ever happens to them. Just like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily believe, you know, a black character yeah. never experiencing racism. But what I do think is that we're over trauma porn. You know, if it's, if it's not, if it's, if it's not, and this is, you know, my personal experience and my personal belief, especially if it's not being written by people from those communities, um, like we, I, I, I don't, I don't want to sit through another play written by a white man about slavery. I don't like, right. yeah. I, I will, I will 100%. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with race play, uh, which is a new one um, from a black playwright who it, it, it talks about racism, the prison system, uh, kink and all of that kind of stuff uh, all in this play. And he held talkback sessions after the show a lot of the time. And a lot of the time there were white people that were like, that doesn't happen, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, girl, that happened to me last Tuesday. What do you mean? Exactly. I do think it's still important to have those things and to have those narratives, but they have, we have to be in control of them. Right. And that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I definitely understand. I I definitely understand what they were saying. Like it is slightly unrealistic to have a black character that seemingly has never had an experience with racism, but I definitely think that there are ways uh, to go about it to where it, is relatable but not like the entire 
point of the movie or show, you know, because I've seen it be brought up subtly before. Right. Uh, and I'm just a big example girl. And I know that I bring all my examples from Disney. So just everybody bear with me. But oh, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, like there was a part of Prince and the Frog where um, they at the beginning where they're not basically going to give her the building for her restaurant. Um, and they make a comment about her not being ready to manage a restaurant because of a woman, because she's a woman of her background. And that was like the racist comment in the movie. And that was the only one. And um, when I was a kid, like I didn't really recognize it. Now that I'm older, I recognize it. But I think that was a really good way to go about it because obviously like that is something that would probably happen in real life. Um, and even though it's like a fantasy genre, like they said, it would be unrealistic for her to have never experienced that before um especially since she was at a pivotal time in her life like she's 19 and so she's finally yeah, become adult. like doesn't yeah. isn't the frog in like the 1920s yes yeah and the time period that it's set in yeah it is um and so yeah it definitely would be unrealistic for them to not bring it in at all but if they had brought it in any more than that i don't think i would have enjoyed watching the movie as much because it's kind of like you also watch movies and stuff as an escape from real life and it is still a part of america even though it's not obviously as bad as it once was it's still a part so I don't really want to go into a movie theater and watch what I'm living then it's not fantasy so I think that there's a way to go about it to where we can integrate it um without making it overwhelming and too much to where it's more stressful than it is enjoyable if that makes sense right and 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 so like let's even move away from our trauma and talk about why you know representation in the writer's room is important if you've seen soul there is a scene in the movie Soul that <laughs> takes place in a barbershop. And for those of you that don't know, like the main character of Soul is a black man. Um, and there's a scene that takes place in a barbershop. And like, there's a whole culture around go- going to the barbershop in the black community. And there's a whole culture around going to the salon as a black woman. Like, it is a cultural experience. Um, not always a great one if you're, you know, a gay black man in the barbershop. But, you know, like, there's a whole cultural experience there that a white writer could never write. Yeah. No. And like, and that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. It's like, what is like for you, like as a writer, like you, you, you're a writer, and you love people of everything. Like you just love people. I, like you meet this man, and he'll try to make you a cocktail and bear hug you w- before he's even learned your name. Like <laughs> he is, he is that he is that guy. But for you, and and I know that you strive to kind of, you know, represent the world that's around you beyond like interviewing, like how do you go about in your writing process and in your thought process, how do you go about deciding, no, this is something that I definitely could write. This is something that, you know, I shouldn't touch. Like how, how do you draw your lines? How do you come to those? Yeah. And that's a fair question. In 2009, when I first wrote the play, um, this was my first play, and I just wanted to get it out there as a story that I felt needed to be told. It wasn't something seen on on screen or on stage, and it, it needed to be told. Um, and I spent a lot of time trying to develop that play. Since then, it's when I'm looking at stories I feel are compelling in my seasonedness. It has, I look at 
the experience that I've had versus the story that needs to be told. If it's something that I can understand through research, maybe I can tell it. If it's something that I, I can never understand through any amount of research, someone else needs to tell that story. And if I can find someone who needs to tell that, I can encourage them, I can help them, I can provide whatever resources I can to help them, but it's not my story to tell, it's theirs. 100%. And I think, I think that's the problem that a lot of white writers don't understand, that a lot of straight and white writers don't understand is even if they know that they don't understand all the nuances of it, they're caught up in, oh, well, somebody needs to tell this story and they think it needs to be them. And, and it's, it's cute. Like, it's nice that you want to be- the right energy. They've definitely got the right energy. We appreciate the energy. But that's, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about allyship. It's, 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 it's not that you, it's not that you speak up for us. It's that you help us speak up like 100%. There are sometimes there are sometimes and some people that are not going to listen to a thing that comes out of my mouth and that my straight friend or my cis friend needs to step in, or I just need to like not talk to that person ever. If they're just really, if they're coming at it from bad faith, but assuming they're not coming at it from bad faith, they just fundamentally can't understand me and won't accept it coming out of my mouth. They'll only accept it coming from a, from a peer. Of yeah. And that's the case where you get to use your voice instead of ours. But then there are times where, no, you need to amplify our voice. So if I may um, go into a little bit of history about the process I went through with educating about that. Um, and it's a little personal for me, so if I get choked up, I do apologize. I, I haven't spoken about this. This is a safe space. Emotions are welcome and encouraged. And and I realize I'm also speaking from a place of immense privilege, so I appreciate your, your, both of your support in that. Um, but yeah, I, I felt that this is, like I said, a story that needed to be told, and, and you're right. My mentality was I spent a decade on this. Absolutely, it's my story. I'm going to tell it, Absolutely. And I was, I was contacted by someone who said, all right, you need to find a dramaturg, um, a trans dramaturg. I said, all right, sounds good. I've worked on this for a decade. I don't feel that I need that, but okay. okay. And the dramaturg said very piercely to this person that a cis white male should never, ever, ever write a trans story. And this person relayed that to me. And I was taken aback for a moment. I was taken aback. I try to understand what they're what they're saying, and she was very conscious that I'll try to find another dramaturg who at least read your work, and she did. And um, I met with this dramaturg, and she said uh, she gave me some very nice comments. But I asked her point blank, like, if this play was to be produced after a, a decade plus of me trying to represent the story authentically, what would you do? Knowing a cis white male did it, and she said she would get her friends together and she would protest the play. Mm. And I said, that's fair. And that's what it hit home to me. This is a story that is not mine to tell. It is not mine. I need to raise up the voices of those who need to tell it. I need to support people. I need to help those whose voices need to be heard. And that's just my experience of from a place of privilege. Yeah. No, 100%. And um, we have a, a commenter. And I actually didn't know that the writer of Lovecraft Country was a was a straight right a straight white writer who wrote the novel Lovecraft Country. For those of you that don't know, Lovecraft Country is a novel and now a series on HBO 
that takes the kind of Lovecraftian horror elements, but tells it through a black lens. And it's basically just a big fuck you to Lovecraft because he was deeply and disgustingly racist. Uh, and Lovecraft Country, I've actually watched it. It's heavy. Like I, even I, like as a white person, have to take breaks from it because it, it it doesn't shy away from the racial trauma of the time because it's set in like the 50s or the I think yeah I think it's the 50s so it does yeah, not, yeah it does not shy away from the racial trauma of the time but it also does it in a way that is like taking power back um, there's an episode where this white doctor um had like killed and used black people and black bodies for his research and he and these people ended up haunting his former house and you turn it around though and spoilers it spoilers mute me right now if you don't want to hear what happens but the they come to the uh, two alive black people who are now living in this house um, do, do a whole right. And these, these ghosts come to them. And, and initially when you see the ghosts, they have the deformities that he gave them. But as they say this incantation and are ganging up on him, their bodies start to shift back to who they truly are because they're taking their power back and they're taking their agency back. But, and so like, like that's done really beautifully, but to continue what uh, Fetish Ewing was saying, once it was greenlit for TV, he basically gave it to the black community and moved to his next novel. He didn't care about being invited to the cookout. Love that phrasing. Uh, he, he just wanted to write this story to affirm our humanity and he moved the fuck on. That's an ally to me. He didn't care about accolades and his name is Matt Ruff. Um, and yeah, like that, that 100% yeah, like that is non-performative allyship. That is, he saw this, he saw this thing and he, he saw this need and he, and he said, you know what, why don't I do it this way? And so their, their blackness is as front and center as all of the supernatural shit going on around them. And I, it's integrated really beautifully. And I think it's done really well. I did not know that a white man had wrote that. And, and, and that's the thing is like, I am not saying that white people can never write black people or uh, straight people can never write queer people. I do think that straight people should shy away from coming out narratives uh, because a lot of the time straight people misunderstand what it is to come out as a queer person. They think that once we pick our first label like once we're able to say to the straight people in our lives i'm gay like that's the apex of our journey and everything's smooth sailing from there they think you know once we're able to self-identify with this label we know what we need to know everything's gucci the reality is a lot more complex and nuanced than that like the like just use me as a case study the first thing i thought i was was gay and cis and then you know after years of doing what I do and living how I live, I was like, mm, I do too many things with people outside of cis males in order to call myself gay. So I started using the term queer. 
Um, and I described my sexuality as just queer. And then, you know, it's some years later, I was like, uh, I was at Renaissance Fair with a, with a trans friend of mine. Uh, and they were like, well, why do you identify as male? And that fucked me up. I sat there and thought about that. And I was like, it's not because I have a penis because there are women with penises. Like that doesn't make me a, that doesn't make me a man. And then I was like, and then I just kept reflecting on it. And I thought about it for a good while. And I was like, maybe I'm not. And, you know, doing, but I didn't feel like a woman. So I was like, well, I'm not a trans woman. And so like, I was really, I really had to dig into it. And so like, the first label you pick as a queer person often isn't the last label you pick. And even if it is, once we discover, oh, yeah, I am, like, let's say, yes, I am a cis, I am a cis gay man. You then have to discover queerness as a whole, like outside of your sexual attraction, because queerness isn't just about sex. Like there, it's, it's a whole culture and community. Like they call it queer culture for a reason. Um, and you have like, because especially if you grow up in, you know, not shelter isn't the right word, but if you grow up in households where being gay isn't okay, you don't know all the ways there are to be gay. And so, you know, identifying as gay is the first step in your journey of queer. Uh, and there, there's so much evolution that happens. And so often our coming out stories are just about coming out to pe other people and not discovering all of ourselves. And I think something similar can be said for, you know, the black, like the experience as a black woman, like not necessarily, you know, of all time. Like I think, you know, yeah, white people can write about black people in the fifties. Like it's well documented how that shit went down and you, I, LaVon, none of us know what it felt like intrinsically in that era, but we can guess. There's yeah. documentation we can guess and straight people have access to that same documentation. I do think, however, if they're going to do that, they need to employ a sensitivity reader. And that's another part of representation that people don't understand. And like, I guess I never fully defined what I what I think representation is. Maya, what, what, what would you term as proper representation? Like we've talked about the definition of tokenization. Let's talk about like what we think true representation is. Um, yeah, representation. Um, I feel like it has a lot to do with relatability. I feel like if, you know, a younger person can look at whatever they're looking at or read or watch or whatever it is, they see, like you were saying earlier, like a character, um, I guess it's media, so it would always pretty much be a character, but just something that they can identify with that would be representation to me. Um, but that goes deeper than just like skin color that goes like personality wise or body type and all kinds of things like, like anything they can identify with, but not just because they're brown or not just because they're curvy or skinny or whatever it is. That's why I feel like there needs to be so much more of it and so many different varieties. Cause you can honestly go on forever, like mix and matching, brown curvy women, brown skinny women, brown tall, short, queer, you know, all kinds of, there's all kinds of different mixed matches that you can do. And I feel like everybody should be able to look and see something that reminds them of them. Um, and there's so many TV shows that there are so many character opportunities. It, not every single one should be the same. Like you shouldn't have to choose the closest 
there should be representation for whatever is, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because, like, straight white people have a cornucopia of characters that they can be like, oh, I identify with this person and that person and this person and that person. And, like, all like... There ain't nobody for us. Like, and, but, and that's where you get into, you know, fandom spaces and, and, and headcanons and things like that. And, and um, coding is when a character is given certain aspects or character traits that are usually ascribed to a certain group of people. Um, it's not always intentional. And, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, like when you look at something like autism, most um, autistic people will tell you that the best autistic representation is usually accidental. Like when people, uh, when neurotypicals set out to write an autistic character, they either write something like something crazy and borderline offensive or they have the, they fall into that exceptional myth. You know, it's it's that oh, they're a good one. Like they're they're a good autistic or they're a good black person. They're a good queer because like she's a she's a good black person because she has her hair, you know, managed. She talks white, which I can't stand. I hate that. Girl, how do you talk white? intelligence is not relegated to whiteness don't even get me started don't get me started on that one <laughs> and like that's the thing is they're like you have coded characters like uh garnet from steven universe is black coded like in actuality she is a hard light projection coming from two rocks but she has dark red skin. She has an Afro. She has, she has a certain nose type and she is voiced by Estelle. Like she is coded to be a black woman. And so like coding isn't necessarily always a bad thing, but it traditionally has been used to be like, to make us, draw connections, negative connections. That's why they queer coded villains in cartoons and, and things like that. So children would be like, Oh, femininity bad. If you're a boy, if you're, or, you know, flamboyant dressing is bad if you're a boy because villains do that. And honestly, all they did was create a legion of queer people who want to dismantle the government. So kind of worked against them there. <laughs> but like, that's like coding, like coding is the intentional or unintentional writing of characters of a particular experience without ever explicitly stating that that's what they are. It's not canon, but they are coded to be that way. And that's, that's a whole other really interesting conversation. And that is difficult because when you code something a certain way, even if you're doing it unintentionally, like people from that group will pick up on it and they'll either love it or hate it. But the other thing that happens with that is then when we go to relay these things, like when we're talking about, oh, well, you know, like, yeah, like the way he did this, that, and that, like really made me think he's queer, blah, blah, blah. Then straight people will be like, what the fuck do you mean? Like, he, there's, he's not queer. He's not gay. Like, blah, blah, blah. He never married. He was obsessed with his best friend. Like, there's just like, there's like, if you look at, if you look at like Shakespeare, like Hamlet and his little homie, like, no, you can't tell me they wasn't tucking each other in at night. Like, 
that's why he wasn't messing with Ophelia no more. Like <laughs> Hamlet Horatia, Hamlet Rosecrans Gellistern, there was a whole bunch going on there. Right. Like, and and Shakespeare, I am convinced that Shakespeare did that very intentionally because he was a rabid bisexual. Like <laughs> And couldn't get away. And that's, and that's another reason people do coding. Um, if you are, you know, in an environment and uh, where it's not safe for you to write these things, you do it through coding. The author of Toad and Frog actually didn't come out till much later in his life. And he, you know, said to uh, his daughter that he didn't realize but now looking back and identifying what it does, he sees that like Toad and Frog is the like relationship that he wanted. And while Toad and Frog aren't explicitly a couple in the book, they are, you know, just two friends. They have a very intimate relationship. They, you know, they come together every day. They have picnics by the pond. They do this, that, and the other. And those are all of the things that lead to them being coded as a couple. Oh, yeah, I didn't even notice that. I used to read those books all the time. <laughs> yeah. Fetish Ewing says, on top of being at the forefront of every significant uh, civil uh, movement, queer leaders are everyone's history. And 100% they are everyone's history. Just, just like slavery is everyone's history. That is not just, that's white people's history just as much as black people's history. The, the caveat there being... Queer people who have lived that experience have a whole different relationship with that history uh, than the white people who it happened to. Like, girl, it n- ain't nothing happened to you. Yeah. Uh, but, and then Fattish Ewing also says, Tennessee Williams, A Streetcar Named Desire. Uh, Ian should know this, but the play, uh, but in the play, Blanche's husband was gay. In the film, she says he was weak. But yeah, like, and that's and that's the thing is like we're we're not trying to tell you no, you can't do this, you can't write this, you can't have this. These are our stories. But if you're gonna do it, you need to do it with respect, research, and humility. Like, if at any point in your process of editing and things like that, you go to somebody who's you're, you're writing black characters, you go to a black person and they read your thing and they say, honey, this, this, and this is not okay. It is based in in racial stereotypes. This, this, and this is not okay. It is completely ignorant of, you know, what black culture is. You don't then get to bristle and say, well, you don't, I don't, I'm not racist and I meant it this way. And well, like, girl, nobody's calling you a racist. We are telling you that that was rooted in racism. It's a fundamental misunderstanding. And that's not your fault. The school system, the government, everything does its best to not have you unlearn these things. They want you to keep believing these things so they can not be held accountable for anything. Um, and keep the sy- systemic issues that we have in place. Yes, one hundred percent. And that and and that's that's it, right? Is like it all comes back to like media affects society as much as society affects media. And it, and until we are as a whole, you know, human race doing the work to dig into and unpack our things within ourselves 
before or at the same time as we are addressing with the community, you're not going to be the ally that you think you are. <laughs> Maya, I have enjoyed having you here so much. What do you have to plug, my baby? Plug it, plug it, plug it. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Okay. So my TikTok is going to be maybe Maya Adele. Um, my Instagram is Maya Adele. My Twitter is Maya Adele. All, all, everything except for TikTok is Maya Adele. And then TikTok is separate at maybe Maya Adele. But it has been wonderful being here. Um, I love that we're opening this. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, Ian, you rock. It was nice to meet you. Um, and yeah, I hope that this continues. Um, I wish you all the best. Much love. Um, and we will hopefully chat soon, everybody. Yes. Love you. Have a wonderful day. Good night. Thank you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Bye. So Ian and I are going to continue the conversation. Let's see. I is there anything in chat to catch? Oh, there's a lot to catch up on in chat. Izzy says this is where I wish smaller and indie projects could get bigger platforms too, instead of having to rely on big productions doing the right thing. One hundred percent. And that's the thing is like because back to what we were saying, because we don't have the privilege, because we don't have access to the funds, because we don't have access to that education, our projects are often smaller independent projects and they don't get the, they do not get the publicity and they do not get the movement that mainstream media does. Um, There's a beautiful French film uh, called BPM. It's an independent French film and it's, it's about the AIDS crisis and it's, it's really, really well done. It's done by a queer writer and director. Um, and I, and, and I super love it, but it's an independent film. And unless you are into the indie film, like circles, you probably haven't heard of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, fetish Ewing is saying, I loved BPM. I think about it often. Um, it's it's very well done, um, but then you 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 know you counterbalance that with something like Velvet Goldmine, and you know Velvet Goldmine. For those of you that don't know, it's a it's a Christian Bale film where oh, was cast with largely heterosexual actors, uh, and it it's kind of an absurd take on like what queer glam rockers were like, and it's. It's a lot. Um, but then again, like you want good representation. Let's walk it back to Moonlight. Moonlight is so incredibly important. And if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. I'm giving you homework. Yeah, Christian Bale, Christian Bale's in gold velvet gold mine. He he plays the the little teenage uh boy that gets obsessed with those glam rockers. Um it's impressive how much Christian Bale did before he was Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did a lot, but he, yeah, he did that when he was like very young, like teenager or early twenties, mm-hmm. like even before American psycho, but yeah, you t- look at a movie like moonlight and that is the homework for the chat. If you have not seen moonlight, go fucking watch it. It's incredible. Um, and it's incredible for a multitude of reasons. A note. So, and so that's one of the things that I enjoyed about, Moonlight is that it because Moonlight knew Moonlight knew that it would it it would be 
black queer people predominantly going to see this. It, it knew that it, they knew that it would be queer people and then more overwhelmingly black queer people going to see this. And I think they didn't want to re-traumatize. I think they didn't want to, you know, hit you over the head with that kind of trauma. They alluded to it, um, but they also, you know, had the counterbalance of some people are fucking good. And some people in the black community get it. And that's one of the things that I liked. And even beyond the gay thing, if you look at Ghost, like Ghost was, you know, a, 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 a gangster, like a drug dealer, but he was a good person. Nine times out of 10, when a white person writes a black gangster, no, no, they're hard as fuck. They don't have emotions. They're just cold blooded, blah, blah, blah. When in reality, it's a lot more nuanced than that. Like, yes, are there hard ass motherfuckers that don't give a shit? 100%. But there are plenty of people who are in that lifestyle because they didn't get presented with any other options growing up. And that's one of the important things that I think we see in Ghost is that he is a good dude who cares for this young boy, who sees that this boy is a homosexual and knows that his life ain't good. And he's like, no, baby, like when you're here, you're safe. When you're with me, you're good. And also just like props to Janelle Monet, like acting is her side gig and she kills it in every role. Is there anything she can't do? No, there's not. Except for be straight. She doesn't know how to be a heterosexual. (laughs) No. Oh, see, I... Antebellum... Antebellum was a time, and I think that had more to do, I think that had more to do with the writing than it did with, yeah, yeah, Antebellum was not cute. I, I just, I don't think it was, I, I, yeah, but going back, um, that's true, but he didn't get presented with those options either, so why is he like that? Like, why is Ghost just a good dude? Because I think Ghost is just a good dude. I think, um, <laughs> I think Ghost is a good dude just because he's a good dude. Like, and, you know, he's partnered with a woman who genuinely cares. And, uh, you know, we don't get a whole lot of his backstory. But, you know, my inference, my headcanon is just that, you know, he is a person that, despite his surroundings, still cares and cares deeply. Um, It's it's just like, because asking why he cares is the same as asking or why he's like that would be like asking, you know, me who, you know, came or not necessarily me, but like somebody who came from a racist family, why they are now anti-racist because they saw that the thing was wrong and they made the change. Um, I think, you know, it doesn't matter as much why Ghost is like that as much as it matters the impact that he had. That all goes back to writing what you know and writing the experiences that you've, you know, kind of lived. But also, like, everything that involves marginalized people doesn't have to be about our pain. I, all of the time, I love characters who just happen to be queer. Like, you know, they're they're not... Um, the, so take the new Saved by the Bell reboot. Have you seen it at all, Ian? I haven't. I've only seen like two episodes of the original Saved by the Bell, so please forgive me for those who are Saved by the Bell. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I used to watch Saved by the Bell every morning before school. Like, we would get up, we would be eating our cereal, and Saved by the Bell would be on. Interesting tidbit, the actor who plays Zach Morris is a person of color. He's half Asian. And they dyed his hair blonde and were like, no, you're just a white kid. And, and he played a white kid, like his entire start of his career. 
Um, it's also really interesting because he also plays the father in Mixed Dish, uh, which is one of the spinoffs of Blackish. And like, he definitely has gotten more Asian looking with age. Uh, which is a thing that happens a lot of the time with people who are Hapa or Quapa or anything else. But yes, on Mixed Dish, you know, he's, again, just playing a white dude. And it's very interesting in the context of Mixed Dish because, you know, here they are, you know, doing this narrative about this, about being mixed. And they're like, no, 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 but you're just a white dude. And I get it because, you know, they had the established canon that, Rainbow, who is the mother on Blackish and the daughter of him, they already had it set up that she had a white dad and a black mom. And so they di- they didn't want to kind of retcon that whole thing going there. Um, but it is, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. It's just, oh, back to what I was saying about Saved by the, about the reboot of Saved by the Bell. Sorry. <laughs> That's what I forgot. I lost the thread there. Um, there's a trans character on uh, Saved by the Bell, the reboot, and she is played by a trans actress. Um, and while I'm only about halfway through it, uh, there's like 10 episodes and I'm on like episode five or six. Um, but as far as like, they haven't, like her transness isn't the center of her story. She is a popular low-key bitchy girl in high school who happens to be trans there's one episode that shows her because she has the in universe she had like a tlc show that covered like her um coming to school after having transitioned and all that and they like reference that in one episode but like, it's, it's not the main focus. Like her transness isn't the main focus. Like she just gets to be a girl in high school. And that's really fucking important. Um, if you look at a show like Happy Endings, uh, which isn't around anymore, um, but they had a gay character on there, Max, who was a dude, bro. Like <laughs> he was a full on Chicago dude, bro. Like not hyper femme, not any of those things that, you know, are stereotypical about gay people. And he was a fucking slob. Like you, you got to see this depiction of queerness that you don't ever really get to see. Cause usually when you see queer people on TV, they're like type a, that like they have everything together. If, if, and they're, Another like, sticking point for me is that they are usually always monosexuals. So like gays and lesbians, uh, when they are side characters in a much larger show that doesn't revolve around queerness, like the L word or uh, Noah's Ark, uh, which is a great queer show. It's a, it's, it's all about like blackness and queerness and the intersectionality of that. If you haven't seen that, like that's a fun watch. And they have a lot of uh, important conversations about safe sex and things like that in there. But it's in, uh, you know, narratives that aren't centered around, it did have bad actors. It, it, it did. It's, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. But in narratives that aren't centered around queer culture and queer experiences, when you have, you know, a cast of mostly straight characters and you have a couple of queer characters in there, it's really nice to get to see them just like, be people but a sticking point for me is a lot of the time they are either in a committed relationship 
or you never see them date ever. So like, you don't like, you don't get to have that same like experience that you do with the main character of, of like dating and finding somebody like, girl, we don't all exist to like further your story. Yep. And don't even get me started on the way they perceive bisexuals. Ian, tell me the first bisexual you saw on like screen or stage. I don't, is there bisexuals? Like, I'm trying to think of a bisexual, like, explicitly said in the text, this character yeah. is bisexual in a play. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one that was specifically bi. And I'm, I'm also struggling to come up with one that was specifically bi. Because the representation so few. So few. It, it's it's gay or lesbian that's coming to my mind, but not bi. So I don't, I don't have an answer. One that sticks out, and I, I apologize. That's wild. But who was the first like queer character you saw on like television or film or whatever? There was pretty specific. Thank you. Oh my God. How did not, how did neither of us go to Maureen from Rent? (laughs) That's our bad, Emily. I'm so sorry that neither of us remembered Maureen. (laughs) Maureen is damaging like i will say that maureen is also that but and 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 thank you for actually thank you for saying maureen specifically because that that is that is my issue with the like bisexual depiction in media is oftentimes they theater cards now hand over Um, no is that like bisexuals in media are often just these sex crazed like constantly cheating on a partner Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, and, es- and especially with bi women, what they will do with bi women a lot of the time, if, if she is specifically stated to be bi, is that they will have her sleep around with different women, but ultimately she settles down with a man. Yeah. Like, and not that there's anything wrong with a bisexual woman settling down with a man. Like, yeah. there's no issue with that. But w- But there's a difference... And that's what we're talking about, about representation. Like that is, we only get to see those like two depictions. That's not representation. That's you deciding that's the archetype of bisexual. This yeah. is the path that they have to follow. No. Yeah. And, and from my perspective, what's also sad is when you asked me the question, the, the first thing that came to my mind was Brokeback Mountain, which isn't <laughs> fair. Cause I knew Rent years before Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. I had seen things before, um, but unfortunately in my mind, in my uh, indoctrinated mind, that was the first thing that comes to mind. And, and it's so sad when I had all of this plethora of representation before me, but that's, that's what sticks out. Mm-hmm. <sighs> confession. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Brokeback You want to hear another confession? Please. I appreciate and I can respect the movie, but I also think that there is room for improvement with the filmmaking. Oh no. <laughs> but I'm also not a fan of Ang Lee and I'm, I apologize. Just you the filmmaking style. Shit. But I appreciate the representation and I'm glad it's there and hopefully we can build upon it. Yeah. And yeah, like that's the th- and like, and we have, but 
in, in some ways and in some ways we haven't. And, and it's just like, like, call me by your name. Like I have uh, read, listened to and watched call me by your name multiple times. I haven't watched it in a long time because army hammer ruined everything. Um, if you don't know what that is, Google is free. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know why I'm saying that, just Google what's wrong with army hammer. Um, yeah, like bisexual representation oftentimes is so fucking damaging. And even worse, a lot of the times it doesn't stick. It'll you'll have you'll have that like, oh, it was just a phase. Yeah. That line angers me to no end. And it's it is all fine and well and and good to show a character experimenting with their sexuality and deciding that something is not for them because that is something that absolutely happens and it's something that we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that doesn't get shown. But when you use the phrase, it was just a phase, that is highly fucking damaging. Instead, if you want to tell that story, if you want to do that, that sort of character arc, you gotta come at it much more respectfully and when that character does discover that oh no like i am this i am i am a straight person not a bisexual not a gay person you know you don't have them say it was a phase because i've never met somebody who experimented and said it was a phase i like it's always been you know they've said i mean i tried it It, it's not for me like uh, you know i i thought i might be but you know it Turns out, no, like I'm not sexually attracted to X, Y, or Z. And it very rarely ever is stated that it was a phase. If I may piggyback off of that. Please. um, Obviously, I'm not a lesbian woman. um, But growing up, I I was a huge fan of, of James Bond. And I read the novels when I was in my youth. And... Uh, from Goldfinger, Pussy Galore. In the novel, she was a lesbian and then was turned straight by the power of Mr. Bond's penis. I cannot do that. I cannot with that. Please mm-hmm. tell me that's not in the movie. I mean, it's not in the movie at all because of when that movie was made, they're not going to show well, So the way they handle in the movie is she said no to Bond and then he forced himself upon her kind of like rape not kind of like it was yes. Yes. and that's just like yes. and that's just like the the dudes that idolize fucking indiana jones first of all he's furthering colonization second of all uh it is canon that he slept with a 16 year old girl um, and I can't remember which movie it was, but she slaps him when she like first comes into contact with him. She slaps him. And it's because when, when he was uh, like a TA or working with her father and she was 16 and he was 24, he yeah. seduced her and slept with her. And it's like, dude, that's the, that's the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. We know that this dude is bad. Oh, Rosa Diaz. Yes. Honestly, the first bisexual I ever saw on screen that wasn't represented as over-sexualized was Rosa Diaz. And that's so recent. Yeah. 100%. 
Uh, Rosa Diaz, I think, is a beautiful representation for the bisexual community. I also think that Jake Peralta is great representation for the bisexual community. And so if we're going to go back to talking about coding, let's look at the relationship between him and um, Ian. What is his friend's name? Um, in, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get so mad. I, um, he's the guy who has the, the starter, the sourdough starter who has uh, the, the child. And he's like obsessed with food. Like he's such a foodie. Charles, Charles, his name is Charles. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Michael. I'm bi as hell and love her, except still a cop. Okay, yeah, very much that. Um, yeah, like very much that. Uh, <laughs> but- just, I to appreciate all of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> I know, it's just like, I love SVU, but fucking cops at least at least like you know like god damn yeah. not the police propaganda uh, <laughs> but um yeah like a character like jake peralta there are things about him that i 100 percent read as bi like when you look at the way that he talks about men who like are conventionally attractive like he's he talks about it he's like he's so hot and like look and his relationship with charles is super intimate like like him and charles look like a queer platonic relationship to me um which a lot of people like to to define queer platonic relationship is literally just queer people being friends a lot of the time um queer platonic relationships like resemble romantic relationships because especially when queer people have known each other for a really long time, like the bond goes so much deeper than, you know, Oh, this is, you know, my friend that I play call of duty with, or the, you know, we, me and this guy, we like the same basketball team, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's much more that kind of camaraderie that you get when you're in the trenches with somebody, because like, the reality is, is that we are like it, it. Yes. Things are better, but they're certainly not good. And we, you know, live through these things every day and we have, you know, collective traumas that bring us closer because, you know, we, we kind of create this little Island where we can escape all of all of the bad all of the homophobia all of the you know misogyny we can just kind of st- stop and it's, it's the same reason cis women who are friends are so are are so fucking tight you know when they're tight they're like fucking tight because you go through a whole lot of fucking shit hmm. um why is my only bi representation a cop dc's constantine is bi um DC's Constantine is bi. Yes. That is how he identifies. Count the amount of times that they have talked about or shown him with men in any kind of way. Uh, Cause I can do it on one hand. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's the thing is a lot of the time they'll like give these characters these things and they'll say, Oh, well this person is bi or this person is this and never, touch on it again um or or worse they use that to fill a quota or hit a metric yeah 100 percent. whereas like if you look at a character like kate kane kate kane is a lesbian and it, it it informs a lot of you know the stuff that she does outside of batwoman 
because like like that's the reality of it. Like being queer isn't every part of who I am. It's not every part of it who anybody is, but it is a a very like intrinsic part of who we are. And it's an intrinsic part of our our experience. And you know, we live our lives very differently. Like we go about things very differently, just like black people go about things very differently than, you know, their white counterparts. You know, if you, if you are like, Oh, let's go on a road trip with, you know, some of your black friends, they're going to be like, where are we going? And then when you tell them where they're going, they're going to go look up. Okay. What is, you know, what is going on over there? It's the same thing I do when my friends invite me out to bars or road trips or things. I'm like, I am looking up, okay, what, what is, what kind of Michigas has gone on with the queer community in this area? Like, what are numbers? What is, what is, and it's, it's a personal safety thing. He's buying a very like troubled about it kind of way. Like he's resigned about it. Yeah. For like, well, like for a character like Constantine, I could definitely understand it because Constantine is super fucking tortured. Like he's got all kinds of trauma. He's got all kinds of guilt that he has to unpack. And every now and then they'll make like a mention of it. And it's not canon in the comics, but it is now canon in the animated universe that like he and King Shark were together uh, for a while. And they'll make like tongue in cheek references like that. Um, But like they, there was a, there was, it's inferred that he and Nick Necro were sleeping together when he was running with uh, Nick and Zatanna. Uh, and then he and Nick stopped and he and Zatanna picked up and that drove Nick insane. Um, but, you know, they, there are justifications for it, absolutely, with Constantine's character. And again, I've already stated that I, I do enjoy characterizations of queer characters where, you know, that they just happen to be queer. But I also think it's important if you want the brownie points for having a queer character that you do need to show us the queerness. Like, show me the queer. And, and, and respect it. Yeah, 100%. Um, and that that's a huge problem that DC has. Uh, the reason Batwoman went out of print uh, pre-New uh, 52 was because the higher ups would not let Matt, uh, would not let her get married. The writers had, you know, written the comic. She was, she dated Maggie Sawyer. Was Sawyer her last name? Yeah. Maggie Sawyer, who was a cop in Gotham uh, and proposed to her, like they allowed her to get engaged. But when the writers were like, okay, we want to do a wedding issue. The higher ups were like, absolutely not. And their reasoning was that superheroes can't have happy personal lives. Fuck you. Superman has a wife and two kids. Like, fuck you. Barry Allen has a wife and kids. Like, and and just because you're married doesn't mean everything about your life is happy, hunky-dory. Like, there's so much more that you can do within that narrative. And it 100% showed that they were uh, just like, yeah, no, we're just meeting our quota. We have a lesbian now. She doesn't need to be married or happy. We can't can't piss off that demographic, can we? Right. Uh, Emily says, Jack Harkness is over-sexualized for sure, but an actual male bisexual who is into everyone and uh, shown with and hitting on men, iconic looking at you jk and yeah so i i have i have been avoiding it 
but Emily brought it up. So we'll go there. We'll open. Hang on. Let me open this can of worms real quick. Uh, J.K. Rowling does not represent shit except for racist, transphobic, xenophobic bullshit. Number one, end of story. I will not be taking questions. Like, it is not representation for you to say after you're done publishing the books and you're raking in the dough, oh, yeah, I always thought of Dumbledore as, bi- as, as homosexual. If you thought it, then why didn't you fucking write it? Hmm? Because it's not even really in plot. Like, his relationship with Grindelwald isn't even really implied to be romantic in the books. Like, you can't really blame that. It's not until she gives you, oh, yeah, he's gay, that you then can apply that filter. And, like, that's not representation. That's not representation, point blank, period. And then the bitch wanted to go and say that Remus's fucking lycanthropy was a metaphor for AIDS? AIDS? I don't like anything about JK. And like JK and 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 people want people want to do the whole death of the author thing with JK. But the, 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 the truth of the matter is, is that she's inextricable from those books. Mm-hmm. Her anti-Semitism is cooked into it. Her racism is cooked into it. Her transphobia is cooked into the pages of this book. And I'm not telling anyone that loves Harry Potter, that found so much solace and community in Harry Potter that they have to put that down and can't ever go back to it. But I am saying don't, try to justify the like don't try to sit here and like be like no but it's okay because like don't if somebody is telling you hey like i don't engage with it i don't enjoy it because of this that and the other thing respect that and move on like you don't want somebody you know like you don't want somebody to be like oh yeah no this doctor is so great and they did this, this, and this for me when that doctor like caused like actual bodily harm to you, like malpractice bullshit. Like that's it. Like my experience doesn't have to be the same as your experience in order for us to like be chill. It's okay. If I don't want to engage with Harry Potter anymore. And like, that's been hard because like, Harry Potter was a lot of fun um, and like was a seminal part of my childhood. Like I grew up, I went to all of, I went to all of those movies, like the week that they came out, if not the day. But when I look at it now, all I can see are those things uh, about it. Like all I can see is the, uh, is the anti-Semitic caricature of the, goblins in the banks all i can see is the gross irish stereotypes that she put on poor seamus like there's there like seamus hypocrisy mm-hmm. and, and such strong hypocrisy too really and, and something that i don't think people talk about that i i also see and feel and, and let me know if you see and feel this as well is when someone wants to demonize a character and, and chooses to have them be gay, they also pick 
uh, they choose to also have them have um, inappropriate relationship with children and who also has a more inappropriate relationship with children than Dumbledore. Yeah. So I also feel that's another layer to there- that. JK and the Harry Potter books are a seven layer dip of just got a flavor I don't want to continue. <laughs> Truly. Um and yeah, and, and it's and it's hard like and that's the thing is like just like we were talking about earlier when you're doing the work to unpack stuff within yourself and unlearn the racist, homophobic, misogynistic, and like all, when you're doing the work to unlearn all of those things, it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, a part of that work is leaving behind things that we used to love because genuinely the messaging is actually bad. And like with Harry Potter, like you can make the case to not have to throw it all away. Um, I, I will probably never read the books ever again. I will probably, I, not probably, I will never buy branded merch because I don't know if that money is going to her. It's just like, I didn't play the Harry Potter mobile game because they were being very cagey about whether or not Joanne was getting any royalties from that. And I'm not trying to put money in that bitch's pocket. I'm sorry. I'm over it. Like, uh, and we vote, and you vote with your dollars. You say more with your dollars than you say with a sign or your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell me all day long that you love, support, and honor me, but bitch, you're at Chick Fil A every Wednesday. Yep. And and it's 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 not about. Oh, you can like somebody's food without supporting what they believe, which is a real thing that somebody said to me. And it's like, baby, this isn't somebody brought you a to-go plate from their racist, you know, family member that cooks real good. No, you are spending money that that corporation is then turning around and spending on things that are actively harmful to me and people like me. So no, you don't honor me. No, you don't. Like you might love me, but you you don't honor me when you do that. Um, and honestly, girl, there are plenty of recipes out there that approximate their chicken. <laughs> secret: the brine has a dill pickle juice in it. That's that's the secret. That's the secret right there, baby. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, and, and since we still live in a capitalistic society, that's the biggest power we have is our is our money. That is Ewing said, white people making chicken. This is Popeye's moment forever and always. <laughs> okay, well. It, it's, I made fried chicken tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> are, you, B, are you still in the chat? I need you to come. I need you to come vouch for my chicken and waffles because because people saying stuff i mean like largely i agree with you my my mother does not season chicken i don't know i don't know i don't know how it happened i don't know why it happened but she just be putting pepper and a little bit of lemon on it and i'm like mama where's the flavor yeah. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta brine it 
but no truly it is it is it is our it is our dollar that we're voting with at the end of the day as much as it's important to vote at the booth it is important to be a conscientious consumer and no there is no true ethical consumption under capitalism 100 percent. you can try yeah i i think the good place does a great job of trying to explain that uh paradox that dilemma that we have of how do we be ethical with our dollars and it's extremely extremely difficult it is and it, it requires a lot of work and a lot of research that quite frankly people don't care to do and it, and that's not specific to just cishet white folk like that is largely across the board like 100 there are exceptions there are people that do the work there are people that care but for every person that cares there's five people that are like I don't care. It's convenient. Yeah. Okay, girl. But a child died to make that. Like, that's not cute. Like the, the fast fashion, all of those things, like they're so awful. And like, especially in America, we're in a very unique position because people are crafting and making things every day on the internet and you can buy directly from a single person and no you can't guarantee that that fabric wasn't made in a whatever whatever and like so you're never gonna know the ins and outs of every single part of the products that you're purchasing but you can do your best you know Mm -hmm. like it's as easy as not shopping at walmart yeah my um the companies I've worked for have a good mentality where it's continuous improvement where you're never going to have perfection, but you always try to get better. And if you apply that to your life, just always try. You're never going to be perfect. Keep trying. If, if you learn something about a product, try to find one that does meet your ethical standards and keep, keep improving. Just keep trying. Since you brought up work, um, that's something that I'm very curious about is like, what, what does your office look like? Like, what is the, you know, what does the representation look like there? Like, are you in a sea of mayonnaise? Like, do you have some tea brewing? Cause you're going to want some. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. You know, I'm always here for the hot goss. All right. All hands meeting. Everyone in the department group of 32 individuals. Um, a person talking, old white man. I'm assuming, uh, sis, I'm assuming straight. Um, there was one person of color, two women. And as far as I can tell and know, there's no one who represents the LGBTQ community in that pool. And this person says that there is no discrimination within the department. 32 people, one person of color. Two women. No discrimination. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I I, I came home and had a, a big tall one. Like how do you how do you claim that? How do you how do you even because they're coming from a place of privilege? They're not personally affected, so therefore it's not an issue. And it's like, just because you aren't actively sitting there and saying, oh, we need to hire a white person for this position. Like, just because you're not actively sitting there and saying that doesn't mean you're not discriminating. Like, unpack why you have uh, 29 white, straight men in your department 
that's like got a bunch going on. Like it's not just engineers there. No, um, in that department there is. But so let's let's just focus on engineering. In 2019, the graduating class, statistically speaking, 25% of those were female, which is up from the previous count of 16%. 32 individuals, 25% of those should be female if we're um, accurately hiring from the the pool and we're not they're not and it's and it's oftentimes it's not an out and out oh we hate black people or we hate women or we hate gays it's from a perspective of oh well i have a similar experience to this person and i know that i could do this job so i think he could do this job and that's not better i want to be very clear that that's not necessarily better but like it's it's ridiculous. And, and they, and, and there've been plenty of studies that have shown this, like with, with, with applications and resumes and stuff like that. Like you send in a resume uh, and somebody on Twitter, I was on Twitter. Oh my God. I was on Twitter and Twitter had told this black man to apply to a position and check Caucasian uh, on his application. And they wanted to do a video interview with him. And he was like, um, Twitter, help. I did this thing and I don't know what to do. And then this, uh, this beautiful white ally was was in the thread and he was like, double down. And if they question you on it, play the card. Like, it was it was hilarious, but at the same time, like this is a real thing. Like people are people are applying with a different name, shortened versions of their names mm-hmm. because their name is too ethnic, and they don't think they're going to get hired based off of it. Yeah, it's- up until past the three months ago, everyone from my position up to the CEO was all presenting male white men. Not until three months ago was there a woman involved, mm-hmm. but I still don't have any people of color. And it's and and V just said uh, in the, in the chat she she said it's like that study where women contributed thirty percent to the conversation and men you know perceived that they had dominated. And I know exactly the um, study you're talking about. Yeah, and when women contributed ten percent of the time, men the men from the class thought they had contributed like eighty percent. And when they contributed 30, they dominated the conversation. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's that perception. It's, and I know what it is. It's because they're, they are having to, you know, especially in a classroom setting where I think that I don't remember what class that was done in. Um, but I think it was like a, like a, a, a social sciences class. Um, so like in particular, when, you know, men are being talked to by a marginalized person, uh, whether they be a woman, uh, BIPOC or queer or any intersection they're in, when they're being talked to about something, especially if they think they know it, they're having to do the work of like, you know, figuring out, okay, what I know is if, if they're entering into this in good faith, they're doing the work of, oh, well, okay, this was wrong, this was wrong, blah, 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 blah. But they're doing work in their head, so this is so much more arduous than it actually is to anybody else. Because it's like, girl, we're just having a conversation, mm-hmm. but 
You know, the word, the words have weight 100% and you should think about them. But just because I make you think it doesn't mean I'm being dominating or it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm being overly emotional. And like, that's something that happens to me as a queer femme person is that I'm always, oh my God, why are you freaking out? Like I, I get impassioned about things 100% and I start talking fast and maybe talking a little bit louder and people are like, you need to calm down. It's like, I'm perfectly calm. Yeah. I have emotions about this because this is my lived fucking experience. But for you, it's a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is at the end of the day is that they don't have the, the fucking, they don't, they don't understand that white women, black men, cis gay. Uh, there is something to be said for marginalized groups who are only one degree away from. Pro- absolutely, absolutely, there is something to be said for marginalized groups that are one degree away from privilege. White women are the uh, like one of the only marginalized groups that can weaponize their privilege. Like you know, uh, like we see it with Caitlyn Bennett, shitty pants girl. Like anytime there's an authority figure that comes and questions what she's doing, she gets really small and she's just like, I don't, I don't understand why you're reacting this way. And I'm just, I'm scared. And it's like white women are allowed to like put on that frat. And I'm not saying that all white women do this, but white women are allowed to put on that fragile cap and put a soft voice and be scared and, men especially will kowtow and they'll like they'll go into protector mode it's like oh no it's okay like no no it's not it's not okay they were behaving badly and they deserve to be called on it and then you know like it's uh, yeah the queer people it not respecting trans people in general is a problem, but especially when it comes to black trans women and that's called massage noir. Um, and yeah, like it's really fucking gross. Um, honestly, like walking through life, like when I meet people like randomly in life, the people that I expect homophobia from and transphobia from the strongest are like black men, white men, uh, Asian people, um like those are who i expect to be like the most vehemently like and uh like latinos like that there's a huge problem with homophobia in all of those communities and it manifests differently in all of them um you know like black men who are homophobic have a tendency if like their masculinity and their, you know, heterosexuality is threatened, they have a tendency to be more aggressively homophobic. Um, Like black men and white men, I have experienced the most violence from as far as homophobia is concerned. And a lot of my queer friends as well. But again, it's not a problem across the whole community. Like the black community was one of the first place, was one of the first places that I ever was accepted for who I was. Um, like it was, it was black women that accepted me before anybody else did, which is why homophobia from black women hurts me the most. <laughs> like, and yeah, call out white woman behaving badly in public. Watch how quickly a white man or anybody coming. Exactly. Like how to cry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Crying when you're pulled over. Asians are very into assimilation and anti-blackness is a consequence of that. Yeah. Uh, we're discussing that amongst ourselves now because in essence, that's what caused the LMS riots. Uh, Latasha Harlins. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I, and, and we're definitely in a very different place than we were, you know, during the LA race riots, um, as far as those interactions. And it's, it's also very, all of these things, a lot, well, not all of these things, but a lot of these things are very generational as well. Like even the justifications for it. Like if you look within the black community, a lot of millennial black community, if they're homophobic, it's just because they think it's gross or weird, not because they think it's morally wrong. Uh, whereas if you look at the older black community, it's like, no, the good book says. And yeah, very, very much the same with, you know, older, like especially older people in the Asian community and people who are like first generation American or immigrated to America, like big into assimilation big into anti-blackness. Um, whereas when you look at more of the youth of the Asian community, a lot of the times you see, you see more of an appreciation for the black community. Um, and it's really interesting. Um, they still have a lot of issues. They still do the very much like tokenization thing and also appropriation thing. You see a lot of appropriation of black style and music in the Asian community, especially when you look at things like K-pop. Um, may I share, talking about this thing, can I share experience that I've, I've had? Yes, please. Um, I was talking to a coworker who's a person of color, older gentleman. Um, we were talking about Marta and the history of Marta and why it doesn't go to outside communities. And I know, I know, I know, I know. And got to the crux of the conversation. Um, he agrees and that it goes to why people didn't want to have black people around them in outlying communities. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I understand what they're, what they're, where they're coming from. What do you mean? You can, you can you elaborate on what you're saying? He goes, yeah, yeah. I don't want to have Mexicans live near me. I hate people so much. He grew up. Sorry, just to uh, move on. I was not saying that appropriation it translates to appreciation at all. I was saying that's one of the that's one of the issues with the younger generation. More of the like casual, like ingrained racism that where it's it's very much like can I touch your hair or like creating these assumptions about like basketball or rappers and things like that like it's they've reached that level that like white people have been on for a while and it's like girl you need to you need to mm-hmm. that. but yeah but what as you were saying Ian so it's it, it he when he was a child, he, he went to school segregated. He's that old of a gentleman. It still suffers to this day from systemic racism built into our society. Mm-hmm. Doesn't want to live next to Mexicans. That, and for me, that that is a representation of the indoctrination of our education system and our media. One hundred percent. And it's also like th- there's also um, something to be said for the way that BIPOC people have to seek safety. Not all BIPOC people do this, but like there is something to be said for, you know, BIPOC people feeling that they need to approximate whiteness uh, in order to be safe and in order to be accepted. And 
a way that that comes across a lot of the time. It like, like you see it in the black community with, you know, people disparaging people for being too ghetto or too this. And it's like, girl, ain't nothing wrong with being a little bit ghetto. Ain't nothing wrong with like, because to be honest, there are plenty of white people that are super proud about being a redneck and there's not any, there's really not any difference in being redneck and being ghetto other than the color of your skin. A lot of people say, don't worry, the racists will die out. No, they become our legislatures and evolve bigotry to match our society. And and throughout history, racism has been in power for millennia too not going away we need to we need to figure out a way to get rid of it oh yeah we can like yeah we can uh, sorry v was v was saying um can we actually speak out black indigenous people of color instead of saying uh the acronym but back to what uh levon was saying about they become our our legislatures they 100 percent do like i think something like 85% or more of our senators currently went to segregated schools. Like they, like they grew up in the height of racism and segregation. Not that, you know, racism has declined, but like in the, like they grew up in all of that. And so of course they are fucked and have stupid ass views. And it's like, not only do we have to get them out and get younger people in, we also have to, you know, change our education system because the, the history units on slavery and just the actual, you know, history of blackness in America is a joke. Yeah. They don't teach you about the Tulsa race. Like they don't teach you about the Tulsa massacre. They don't teach you about the LA race riots. They don't teach you the, the real truth about the way that the slave trade and slavery in America went down. And it's, it's gross. It's like, they're just covering up their sins and it's, it's not unique to America. Like I have friends in the UK and I was talking to them about this the other day. Um, but as uh as you know like from a perspective of like colonization and the slave trade and stuff like that and i'm like so what do they teach you about that and they're like not much they they really and they they especially specifically don't talk about the way that they colonized the the british isles themselves because we were having that conversation uh and i was like yeah like the reason that colonization happened the way it happened and went so well in America is because they had already practiced it. They already knew what to do. And Mm -hmm. residential schools were a thing in North America up until 1994. Up until 1994, Canada still had residential schools. And for those of you that don't know, residential schools are the schools that they would put indigenous children into. They would take indigenous children from their homes from their reservations and place them in these uh, residential schools where they were not allowed to speak their language. They were not allowed to wear their traditional garb. They were not allowed to practice their spiritual practices. They were forced to speak English or French. They were forced into Catholic mass. They were forced to assimilate. It was furthering the genocide. Well, we couldn't kill you, so we'll erase your culture. 
Levon says, on that note, history, when they tell you not to speak ill of the dead, speak ill of the dead, hold these people accountable, 100%. Uh, the fact that we don't is why our history is the way it is, 100%. Yeah. Um, v says, uh, black people have to learn our history at home, at church, from each other, 100%. Like, and honestly, again, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, and you can, you can say that for black people and you can say that for indigenous people. Do you know, (laughs) I was having a conversation with a Gen Z queer person. They did not know that gay panic wasn't just like what the kids are using it for now. Kids are using gay panic now to mean that feeling that you get when you're queer and you see somebody and they're pretty and you have a crush and you don't know if they're queer or, you know, you're queer and you're not super out and somebody like flirts with you and you have gay panic. Like that's what they use as gay panic. They had no idea that gay panic was a legal defense that made it okay to kill or assault a gay person because you thought they were coming on to you. And like, these aren't things that are taught, like, like that, that it just furthers the marginalization because you don't have access to your history and you can't, you know, you, you don't learn about what happened. So you don't know that it's still going on. And you, you like, it's like, girl, like we've been here for centuries. Can we please like this, this, this track has been playing. I need, I need a whole new record, you know? Um, But we can't do that. We can't get a new record until, we change the change it you know yeah and and for me from my perspective look at uh indigenous people here we had thanksgiving everything's hunky-dory now they just live in in a certain area of the united states everything's hunky-dory no trail of tears no no mass genocide nothing none of that was taught I just, no, they don't teach it they don't teach and they don't teach the 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 fucking they don't teach about blood quantums either which is a further tool of which is a further tool of colonization and it's just so gross during the cap of japanese people during world war ii they say oh this happened but it wasn't as bad as what happened in germany yes it was you weren't gassing them but you were killing them yes a hundred percent like and and you know the likelihood of us hearing those stories is so small because those voices aren't amplified and they're not given the same, the amount of books and television and movies that have been mediocre or worse, but were still produced just because that, that dude had money and was white. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, this is fine. When I think about all of the stories that we will never get to hear that never got to get told because they're because the person that had them inside of them was silenced. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Going um, to the chat, Levon says you can uh, uh, you can say that of a lot of marginalized communities. I'm so angry that I'll never get to read phenomenal stories written by non-white authors because classic critics considered that the only legitimate stories were written by straight white male authors. 100%. I hate classic lit. They suck. They really do. Um, v says that is so wild to me. It's also wild to me how many queer kids have no idea the true scale of the AIDS crisis. 100%. They don't because that shit is not taught. I, 
I didn't even ever hear about AIDS in school to and until like health class when they were talking about STIs. That is the first, eh, not the first time because I had been taking in queer media, but that was like the first like official teaching capacity that I heard about AIDS. And they didn't even talk about the AIDS crisis or the fact that it was grids or the fact that people called it gay cancer. Like they didn't talk about any of these things. They didn't talk about the fact that Reagan let almost a million people die before he ever said the word AIDS on television. Like they don't talk about any of those things because they're ugly, nasty truths of how America isn't great. Um, Izzy says history class teaching us that the Black Panthers were the bad protesters going too far while erasing MLK's hot takes too is so messed up. 100% Izzy. Yeah. And, and people demonizing MLK in when he was live and now immortalizing him. But it's not really him either, right? Yeah. So yeah. They- they take the version of his activism and the version of his blackness that's palatable for white people. Yep. And they this is what he was like. Yeah, whitewashed it. Yeah. I I grew up a sweet drop of little sunshine in very rural Alabama. Moved to Georgia when I was seven. And you know, when I, when I lived in Alabama, I lived in a small town. Like the last place I remember living in Alabama had less than, like, I did not have more than a thousand people in this town. Tiny little town. Um, and then I moved to Georgia and suddenly, you know, being friends with girls, drawing, collecting flowers, all of these things were so fucking gay. All, and I was so, and like, I, I, I started, you know, I, I started self-harming and, and, and all of those things at a very early age because I was, I was bullied and harassed and beaten up for being queer before I even knew what it was. And then when I went to look up what it was, like when I was looking up gay, the first thing that I am faced with is porn. The first thing I am faced with is porn. And it is like, again, like this comes back to representation. It comes like, it's, it's, it's not just about TV and books and movies. It's about who gets published, what sites Google, you know, think like all of that is in representation, right? Like, because the gay experience, like they hypersexualize us. And for a long time, I thought that's the way that I was supposed to be both because of you know sexual trauma at an early age creating that but also because the narrative about queer people is that we're hypersexual like deviant people and honestly my my take my impression of why you know things became so hypersexual and expression was in that way is it was low key a form of protest um it was low-key a form of protest. You don't want to allow us to have access to these relationships and to have access to this kind of, you know, closeness. So we'll have whatever and we'll say fuck you to what you think is normal and what you think is acceptable. Is that damaging? Absolutely, especially to young queer people because it's still so pervasive in the community. And if you 
are a queer person uh, and especially to like asexuals and people on the asexual spectrum it's like you know they they want to own their queerness and they want to exist in these queer spaces but it's not always safe or comfortable for them because you know it can be over sexualized um and it's getting better but like there's still so much work to do but until we you know amplify those voices and recognize that those people exist it's not going to happen and how is it going to happen and how are we going to do any of that if they're not represented in the in the stories that we tell in the articles that we read in the doctors that we see like you know like there's there's so much that hinges on giving the right people the right chances I love oh let me look at his last comment before he leaves I got in so much trouble for calling the trans community lady boy in a uh, jovial way not knowing that it was a pejorative because porn mm-hmm. <laughs> bye love have a great night it was good to have you here um but yeah like and and yeah that too like and it's just important like I can't there's no way for me to overstate how important these things are and how much they mean not only to like children but adults as well Mm -hmm. like i have been in movies crying because something was represented in a way that it never was before um and somebody told a story that i never thought that i would get to hear or see just because it was queer you know and I just, I really appreciate everyone and everyone's perspective and everyone's point of view. And like, and, and, and that, and, and I think that's my issue, quote unquote, because like, I don't understand people who don't want to get to know other people in other cultures. Like I have such a deep love for people and part of loving people is loving their culture and like, and, and learning about it. And like, yeah, there are parts of some cultures that I don't love, but there are parts of every culture that's not great. But, you know, like at the end of the day, like I'm putting the effort, I'm getting to know someone, I'm getting to learn about them. And I, and my life is richer for it. I now know things that I didn't before. Any representation that nails it. Um, I mean, if you want it, like if we're looking at, you know, representation of representation of nothing is ever going to be perfect i'm going to say that number one point blank period nothing is ever going to be perfect and nothing is ever going to always like everything isn't always going to perfectly encapsulate and relate to you but that's the thing no group of people is a monolith so i'm not saying there's a formula for the perfect gay movie or the perfect black movie or the perfect whatever. Right. But the perfection is in the imperfect characters. It's, you know, having a, a, a Jewish girl who is questioning her faith, but you know, is still doing this, that, and the other, and like is still living her life. It's having a gay person who is, you know, just out of college, just out and like exploring things and making mistakes and learning and, and changing. It's 
the the perfect representation is when you is when you stop tokenizing when you stop marginalizing when you stop saying this is a gay person so this is how their story has to go this is a black person so this is how their story has to go no it's when you see us as people and respect our experience and you know you either write with a sensitivity writer and and you do the interviews and you do the research to do it correctly, or you realize, you know, the direction I want to take this story in, there's no way I can really understand what this person would, would have gone through and how they would have made this decision and, and how it would affect them and blah, blah, blah. So maybe I shouldn't write this story, you know? And, but like sometimes you know, and, and, you know, as LeVon was saying earlier, you know, sometimes it's good to include a bit of the struggle, a bit of the trauma, but you don't have to bash us over the head with it, especially if you think you're making it for us. Um, V says that is a big part of what I appreciate about the film, Dear White People. It acknowledged the fact that there are a multitude of ways to react uh, to being a black person in a white space. Each character is more of an archetype and a different, a uh, valid way of reacting to the same op- oppression. Yes, and I yeah, 100%. Like I loved the movie Dear White People and I've just started the series Dear White People. Um and yeah, like I I I yeah, like that. Like and exactly what I was saying like they they yeah, like they are people. And they are each individual people that have their own experiences, that have their own trauma, that have their own goals, that ha- like, and that's the thing is like, they're, they're, and they're treated as such. They react differently to the same situation. Like, the, the, like there was so much there. And like, yeah. And I, and I honestly, I don't think I can point to any queer media and be like, no, I love everything about this representation. Um, I do like if you if you're in the mood to learn and unpack and uh and have a few laughs on the way there was a Canadian MTV series called One Girl Five Gays um and they talk everything about love sex relationship and life um and it's literally one female panelist and then five or one female host and then five you know, gay panelists and she'll pose a question and, you know, they'll, you know, all like talk about it and they'll, and it really kind of humanizes it. And like, that's, that's another sticking point is like as a marginalized group that has people having negative stereotypes and, you know, anti attitudes, research shows that the two best ways to change that mind and to alter that perspective is one calling out and shaming the behaviors when they have them, like the racist behaviors, the racist um, rhetoric or homophobic, whatever have you insert phobic shit here. Like don't be black phobic. <laughs> That's the, um, but you know, like the research shows you have to shame them when they exhibit the behavior, but they also have to have, positive interactions with people from those communities. So it kind of puts the weight on us, which is why it's so important to have allies who know how to be allies, who know how to speak up and when to shut up 
And even part of speaking up doesn't necessarily have to be in your words. You as the ally can be, can, and I've taken to doing this, you know, when I don't have the spoons to get into, you know, queer theory and, and queer rights and all that. And I also do this a lot when, you know, talking about black issues, cause I'm not black. So like, there are things that I just can't speak on, but I can absolutely tell you, oh no, like listen to, you know, this Ted talk or read this article or watch this media and then come back and talk to me about it. And I do that a lot because, you know, I don't always have this, can I get don't be black phobic merch? Yes, yes, I love it. I want it. I want it on a water bottle. I want it on an enamel pin. I want it on a hoodie. Give it to me. Don't be black phobic. <laughs> but, yeah, like, that's the thing is like being a good ally means knowing when to show up and knowing when to shut up. And we can, in our own words, you know, talk about it better than you ever could, but sometimes they need a, a white or cis or straight sounding board, right? So like sometimes they need you to present them the information so that they can talk to you about it because you're safe and you're not going to cancel them. Like, what? Like, no, like, <sighs> but yeah, those are, those are, I mean... Those are my thoughts on it. I, I, I... Can I, can I share uh, a story from my perspective? Please, please do. Um, so ally, I try to be a passionate ally. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying my best. I'm at work. Luckily, I work at a place that celebrates diversity, at least claims to, and they do celebrate Pride Month every year. Um, last June, um, we put up the Pride flag. Um, and we have a technical out front and we raised it up. Um, I'm the head of the employee engagement committee at work. Um, and we were trying to find someone to raise the flag. And I was trying to find someone in the community to do that because I didn't feel it was right for me to do that. No one wanted to. I said, fine, I'll do it. And I read a speech about um, the LGBTQ community. And um, that was that. And then afterwards, people came up to me and said that they're very thankful. And these people were members of the community and I had no idea, but they were very thankful that someone was able to stand up there and state it when no one else would. Yeah. And honestly, like sometimes we need allies because it's unsafe for us. Mm -hmm. Like there, I, I'm sure there are people who are, you know, there may not be anybody in your department, but I'm sure there are people in your company who are part of the community, yeah. but aren't super out at the office because they don't know if it's safe to, to do that. And, and, and that's the reality exactly. that we, that's the reality that we live in. We live in a constant state of vigilance yeah. that, you know, our, our cis het white counterparts can't fathom, like, you know, white women get it a little bit, you know, because they, you know, they're, you know, you know, why we all know why white, like we all know why women get it, but like, you know, they don't, it's, 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 it's about, it's about, a, it's, it's, it's safety. It's safety, not shame. And that's the thing is like people, people all the time are like, you should be proud. Why aren't you blah, blah, blah. Why aren't you blah, blah, blah. Girl, let me tell you, the stream may have it twisted because I always show up done to the stream, but like, this is not my day to day. Like she does not always look like this uh, because it's, 
it's severely unsafe for me to do so. Um, does it cause me dysphoria? Absolutely. Does it sometimes make me super uncomfortable because I'm hyper aware that everyone I'm interacting with is interacting with me as a man? 100%. But it is better than not coming home. I, 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 I am desperate for the day that I can leave home as myself every day and feel safe and confident in doing so. But we aren't there. We aren't there. We are not there for queer people. We're not there for femme people. We're not there for black, indigenous, or people of color. We're not. And we have to do better. And it starts with giving a fuck. And at the end of the day, as we said earlier, like that's the, that's the question I hate the most is why do you care? Because my question is, why don't you? Why don't you? And I think that might be a good place to end this. Um, I love you so much. Thank you so much for joining me on this. Um, you know, you have been nothing but respectful, which of course I knew was going to happen. Um, but no, know that I value your friendship. Know that I am so appreciative of your allyship. And also know that we're not looking for perfect allies. We're looking for allies that are learning because there's no such thing as a perfect ally. The only perfect ally is the ally that's open to learning. Uh, because it's, it's, it's complex and multifaceted and ridiculous, but this is the world we're living in and we're trying to make it fucking better. I love you so much. Uh, you have anything to plug before you go? Um, well, I love being here. Um, I love having you. I, I love you very much. Your strength is absolutely incredible. And I hope one day I could measure up to just an ounce of your strength. Um, also, I hope one day I have the confidence to wear that gorgeous lip color you have. <laughs> She's good, isn't she? They look juicy. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love you so much. Also, Ian, you need to start. I know that you do those uh, Facebook Live cocktail classes. I do. To start, uh, you need to have multi camera so that you have them recorded so that you can put them on like IGTV so you can put them out there because you make a killer ass cocktail. And you know, when I get down to Florida, you better have that rich white lady gin fizz ready for me, oh, yeah, ready and waiting. Yes, <laughs> um, and maybe I should do some on TikTok as well. Yes, oh my god, 100%. There's only a couple whose energy I enjoy. A lot of them have that very like energy about it. Like if you're not making this cocktail with this, you're not making this cocktail. And I'm like, no. girl, no. Uh, throw some goddamn Jack in it and call it a day. <laughs> I used to be like that. I used to be persnickety, but you know what? As long as the person who's drinking the drink likes the drink they're drinking, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Enjoy your drink. I want to thank everybody for joining us all day. Thank you for sticking around. I loved this conversation and I hope you guys got something out of it. I want to continue to have conversations like these and also 
lighter conversations. Don't worry. Everything's not always going to be this heavy. Um, but I, I do. I think this is incredibly important um, to talk about and to not only to raise awareness of these issues, but to raise awareness for those of us going through it, that there are people that give a fuck about us. And there are people that are willing to show up and stand up. All of that being said, if you want random thoughts from me screaming into the void or just being shitty, follow me on Twitter at AU Plated Garbage. You can uh, follow me on TikTok at Lex Lux. That's L-E-X-L-U-X-E. No capitalizations. Follow Novi Studios on Twitter if you want to stay up to date with all the things we're doing. I love you all so much. Be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and have a good night. Thank you.